0: If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 4. This is our third week of four. Walking through the fourth chapter of Daniel. Lots of interesting things for us to mine out. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the row in front of you. Uh, We will throw it up on the screen, but as I say every week, we want you to hold that thing in your hand. It's the Word of God. Uh, When we throw it up on the screen, we can leave anything we want to out. You hold it in your hand, you can tell what we skipped Right? We just want to be people who read, know, and live the Bible. We want, people, we want to be people whose discipleship is informed by the Word of God. Not informed by our experience. Not informed by our opinion. But informed by the Word of God. We want our experience to be led out of the Word of God. We want our opinions to be led out of the Word of God. Right? It's an election season. It's election year. And... Uh, Everybody's trying to figure out who in the world are we supposed to vote for. This one doesn't look very good. That one doesn't look very good. It's like going to buy a new puppy, right? And they're all ugly. And you're like, which ugly puppy do I buy? Um, That's where we are. And so what we can do is just kind of be informed by our culture. We can be informed by whoever's news station we listen to. Or we can be people who are informed by the Bible. We can be people who run to prayer Not informed by our experience, but we pray the Bible. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so these are my words to you. Go make disciples. Baptize them and teach them to obey all the things I've commanded you. All the authority in heaven and earth was given to Jesus. And his instructions to us were to proclaim the good news of Jesus. We can only do that. We can only pray this morning that we would be people who know how... When and where to communicate the grandness of God as it flows out of the Bible. So we want you to hold that thing in your hand. It's not just, it's just not paper. It's not just words. But it is the words of life. So here's where we've been in chapter 4. Chapter 4 launches out where Nebuchadnezzar makes another proclamation that God, our God, the God of the people of Judah, is the God of all gods. He's the Lord of all kings. He has a dream, Daniel interprets. God is God, but I kind of want to be God too. So he builds a statue and asks people to bow down to it. And when they don't bow down to it, he throws them in the fire. And inside the fire, guess what? Jesus meets with the people. Meets with them in the middle of tragedy, right? Meets with them in the middle of chaos. And again, Nebuchadnezzar bends his knees and says, this God, this God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. And chapter four begins with him singing this melody that we see repeated throughout the entirety of Scripture. And this is it. Man is subject to the kingdom of heaven. No matter what kingdom you and I try to build, it will always be inferior to the kingdom of heaven. Let all the people live for the kingdom of heaven. And it seems like this line that has been repeated over and over again is now finally sunk in and Nebuchadnezzar is ready to surrender himself. But he's not. Because the very next line says that I, Nebuchadnezzar, was comfortable in my palace. I was comfortable with all that I had built. And has a dream that scares him. And instead of running to the guy. Who has the ear of God. He went back to his old ways. Seeking his magicians. His enchanters. His wise men. Right? So he's not ready to give himself over. To the kingdom of heaven. And now here we are today. Trying to understand. The interpretation of the dream. And what that means. And that has some ramifications. For how we live. When we look at Daniel. We look at Daniel as a man. Who has been led by faith in god and we've been trying to be people who are led by our faith in god right the tagline of this series down there says faithful living in an unfaithful culture how in the world do we live faithfully when nothing around us is faithful i've struggled with my wife i go talk to my buddy At a coffee shop you know what he says she's never going to fall in line she's never going to give you what you want she's never going to be what you need what you need to do is cut ties with that this is not a real story for those of you who are new (laughs) this is a hypothetical uh, story that happens to you guys not me because my wife's awesome (laughs) had some new people look at me like wait what you and your wife are struggling wait what but our friend at the coffee shop you know he's going to tell us I mean cut it off Find a new wife. She's never going to be what you need. None of the advice that we get from anywhere in this world draws us to be faithful people. So how do we do that? We look at Daniel, and and it's easy to look through these 12 chapters of Daniel and look at him and say, Man, Daniel had it going on. Like, I'll never be able to be what Daniel was. It It doesn't even look like Daniel sinned. You and I rest comfortably in the fact that Jesus alone was our sinless substitute, right? That Jesus went to the cross and died, was buried in a grave, and isn't there anymore. But he has risen and ascended into heaven. And you and I have every confidence that we have in the world in that. We would have no confidence in that if Daniel were sinless. Because Jesus just would have been another sinless person in a long line of people who were able to muster up the strength to live sinless. I think today we may actually even see a glimpse of some of Daniel's sin as we read through that. So let's listen. Chapter 4, we're going to be in verse 19. 19 to 27. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, my lord, may the dream be for those. Oh, let Belshazzar, let the dream not alarm you. Belshazzar, and if you guys are new with us, the longer I read out loud, the lower my reading level gets. All right? My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree which you saw, which grew, became strong so that it reached up to the heaven and it was visible to the end of the earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all under which the beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king... Who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze. And the tender grass of the field, let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives to whom He will. And as it is commanded to leave the stump and its roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O King, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel, summoned by the king to come to his palace. Nebuchadnezzar had three palaces. So first of all, it's like, hey, the king wants you at his palace. And you're like, uh, what time of the year is it? Which one is he at? So he had this summer place. He had this place that was built for him by his father where the hanging gardens were. And then he had a, another one that he built for himself. And so he, He goes, so he's going to deal with a man who's got a bunch of stuff, right? I don't interact with powerful, mighty people very often because I'm just a tiny man. Not just tiny in stature, but just like tiny in other things too. You guys may interact with people who have great power. Maybe not power to rule the world, but you guys interact with people who are your employers, right? Your boss has power, and he submits to someone who has power, and someone who has power, so... This would be like you walking into work tomorrow morning and someone saying, yeah, the, the CEO would like to see you. And they're like, okay, not my boss or his boss or his boss, but his boss's boss's boss. And they're like, I don't even know how to get there. And can you imagine the thoughts going through your head as you're walking through, trying to find your way up there? And Daniel has to be thinking, okay, God, what are you going to ask me to do now? Right. every time you ask me to go do something I do this at the risk of my own life what do you want me to do And so Daniel goes in and he hears the, the, the dream and Daniel who was indicated earlier as one who has the, he, the ear of the most high God hears the dream and knows what it means and then he stands there dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him And as I'm reading this, I imagine that he stood there looking at the king for a long period of time. Right? Because if you told me something and I responded immediately, you wouldn't have to say, don't worry about it. Just tell me. So he hears this dream. He knows the truth about what he's about to say. And he's caught in that moment of do I say or do I not? And I think this points us to the difference, Daniel never tells us of any direct sin of Daniel. But it does point us to this place where Daniel is a little bit hesitant in his obedience to God. Separating Daniel from Jesus. When Jesus is tempted out in the desert to trust in himself rather than God. Do we see hesitation or do we see a direct response? The word says don't put the Lord your God to a test. There's this immediate, he's tempted, he responds. And he doesn't just respond with his own thoughts. Well, I guess it is his own thoughts because it's the Bible. But he responds with the Bible. He responds to the chaos of the situation with the Bible. He responds to the chaos of the next situation with the Bible. And here Daniel is. "Hmm, Now, when I came in, was it two rights and a left? So leaving, I need two lefts and a right. How do I get out of here? Because that's where I'd be thinking. And the king says, listen, Daniel. Don't be dismayed by the dream or its interpretation. Just come with it. I know you're one who's not telling me these things on your own. I know that you have the year of the God of heaven. So just come with it. And then Daniel says, okay, alright, but, but here's the thing. Oh, man, let this dream not be for you, O king. But let it be for your enemy. I think that's an important phrase for us to hang on to. Because I think what we see in that phrase is that Daniel longs for the things that are said at the end to happen. He longs for the king to repent of his sin, to repent of his own sovereignty, to repent of his own kingdom, and follow God. So listen, listen, King, let not this dream and its interpretation be about you. But let you be a man who repents, who turns to God and follows him. And we see that repeated later in Luke chapter 19. Jesus, weeping, looks over Israel and says, oh, that you would know. Weeping, oh, that you would know the things that are about to happen. Oh, that you would know Jerusalem. You who have seen so much of the power and sovereignty of God. Oh, that you would know what's about to happen. But you don't. Romans chapter 10, following chapter 9, Paul says this. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. As I read that line, let the interpretation not be for you, O king. Let it be for your enemies. Let it be for those who do not repent and turn to you, God. Let it be to those who do not yield to your sovereignty. But let you, king, be one who repents, yields, and is saved. Looking forward, he looks at him and says, Oh, that you would know the power that you have experienced. The first time I interpret your dream. The time that Jesus met with my brothers. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in the fire. Oh, that you would know the strength and might of God. And so Daniel has this hesitation moment. But his heart moves. And in my Bible I write, I wrote there. That this is the city view heart. As I was leaving Texas. Just praying and saying, God, what do we name this church? What do we call it? As I was reading and praying, that verse there in Luke 19 came. That Jesus looked over the city and he wept over it. That Jesus had them in his sights. He had their salvation. Because he's about to go and say, listen, dad, if there's another way that we can do it, like, let's go that route. Uh, But I understand that from the beginning of time, from the foundation of the world, this is the plan, so not my will, but yours. But he looks over knowing what's about to happen to him and he weeps over his city. Paul, there in Romans chapter 10, looks out with people with a heart of salvation. This guy who used to murder these Christians is now looking, saying, God, my heart beats, it pounds, that they would know you like I know you. And that's the heart of this church. That the people out there Would know God. And so our discipleship in here is to motivate and move us out there toward them. So much of church is inwardly focused. Right? You see and you hear these stories of churches dividing over what kind of music to do or what color to put in for new carpet. Right? Apparently this is one of those churches who came to the happy median. We don't do the blue carpet uh, for the Holy Spirit. We don't do the red carpet for the blood of Jesus but we'll kind of do both and we'll kind of get like some amalgamation of purple in our carpet right so we're Holy Spirit and blood of Jesus people so whoever years ago decided to put this purple carpet in really apparently had the heart of God that's good Yeah. also it was on sale but we want to be people who look out there and say that God's heart is beating for them and he saved me so that I would be moved to them. That all authority of heaven and earth was given to Jesus and he sent me to them. So the sum total of our relationship with God cannot and will never be what happens in this room. Why? Because we cannot have a city view heart. We cannot have a heart that beats for the lost if this is the sum total of what we do. And so what we see in that phrase, that little phrase that seems kind of innocuous, that kind of, okay, let me soft-sell the truth that I'm about to give you, is maybe not necessarily the soft-selling of the truth, but a communication of the heart of God. God's heart is that we repent and turn to Him. Then He gives them this dream, the interpretation. So, your kingdom, okay, remember the last dream, last dream, king? There was this statue, head of gold, body of silver... Midsection of bronze, iron, iron and clay. It's a big giant statue, kingdoms. Each kingdom progressively less in value and strength and might and power. But there is this rock, this stone cut from the mountain by no human hand. It will bring every kingdom to dust. Okay, you keep trying to build up your kingdom. You keep trying to purify the gold that is the head of this statue, which represents you. But there is This stone that will bring to dust. Okay, so here we go. That was that last dream. Here's this one. The big giant tree. Guess what, king? It's you. Its leaves reach out. Its branches reach out. It covers everything. Everything is covered. It is provided for. It was protected. It is nourished and sustained by this giant tree. You, once again, O king, are great and grand. But you don't have sovereignty unto yourself. Because there is one who sends the watchers. That says that big giant tree. That thinks it is all that it thinks it is. I cut it down. Cut it down. And then the the king who was once the tree. Is now no longer a tree in the dream. But he is a beast of the field. So, here's what we see in Daniel. His proclamation. He proclaims, uh, he speaks the truth with momentary reluctance because he knew the truth. He knew the truth of God. He knew the truth of the king. And he knew that communicating the truth to the king may mean his life. Because who opposes the king? Then he goes into the next one. And he speaks with precision and clarity. And so we want this text here to inform our discipleship. Can you, can you, and do you know the truth? Do you know the heart of God? And do you know the heart of the people who you're interacting with? I hear people all the time, I wish that I could just walk up to strangers and preach the truth to them and they would get saved. That's a great thing to wish. But most of the time that doesn't work. Right? Right? Most of the time, when we proclaim the truth of God, we do it in the context of relationship. Because when you go up to a stranger, your heart doesn't hurt for them. Your heart hurts for their sin, but not for them as a human being, not for them as an individual. But in the context of relationship, when I am friends with Ralph, and I know Ralph's struggles, and I know Ralph's addictions, and I learn to love Ralph in spite of those struggles. In those addictions. And I hear from God. That you once had those struggles and addictions. And I proved sufficient in yours. Tell him about me. Tell him that he doesn't have to stand. Against his own addiction. Tell him he does not have to beat his own addiction. But I stand as mighty over it. And so rather than speaking, you are an alcoholic and a sinner and you need Jesus because Jesus died so that you don't have to be that anymore. You can say, listen, Ralph, this alcohol is ruining your life. It's ruining your family. It's killing your wife. It's killing your kids. It's killing every aspect of your life. Jesus died so that you didn't have to kill your kids. Jesus died so that you don't have to kill your wife. You can speak with precision and clarity when you know the truth of God and you know your friends. And so you can speak with clarity. You, O king, I mean, you're the tree. You think that you sustain, you think you cover, you think you make up for everyone. And everyone falls under your purview, but here's the deal. That tree grows in soil, right? And you don't nourish that soil. Who nourishes that soil? You think that you are sovereign unto yourself, but you're growing in something that sustains even you. And that thing that sustains even you is going to come down and cut you down. And you will lose your mind. And you will live out in the field with the beasts. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you come to terms with this fact. You may be king of Babylon, but you are not king of the world. You may be sovereign over the kingdom of Babylon, but you are not sovereign over all. So he speaks with precision and clarity. Because Daniel knows the truth. And this is where our discipleship comes in. You have to, you must be someone who knows the truth. You can't come in here and let me tell you the truth. Because I'm a flawed, broken human being. And I might get it wrong. But if you do not run to the word on your own, you'll never know whether or not I got it wrong. And so you will begin to build this worldview on whatever I'm selling you. Even though I might be wrong. This is why this can't be the sum total of your relationship with God. You cannot depend on me. You have to run to the Word of God and know it. So that when I say something that's not true, so that when we sing something that isn't true, you can say, whoa, hold up. Can't sing that line. Can't sing that. That's not right. That's not true. And then you can come and say, hey, this line in that song, I kind of know what they're getting at, but that ain't true. That's not right. Should we be singing that? Or you said when you were teaching this. And if you look at it just right there, that looks right. Because I have studied and known the whole Bible, it makes me question that thing that looks true in that moment in the context of the grand theme of Scripture, that's not necessarily true. So maybe we got that wrong. But that can't happen unless you dive in every single day and says, God, I want to know your truth. And then you find yourself in a small group where we study the Word together. Right? Two are better than one. One. I hate running, like almost as much as I hate math. And I hate math a lot. Right? So it's the Olympics, just to let you guys know how much I hate math. I always cheer against Switzerland because their flag is a plus sign. Right? And so, like, I'm so against math that I can't even cheer for the plus sign. Right? But I hate running. But they tell you, Mr. Frank is here. He's a running coach. You can run faster by yourself. And any track coach will tell you this. You can run faster alone, but you can run farther with a partner. Is that true, Mr. Frank? You can run farther with a partner. So you can run as fast as you can when you study alone. But you'll be able to run farther when you do it in partnership, when you do it in community. And so we want to be people who run to the Scriptures every single day so that we can build up speed. But we also want to be people who are drawn together in small group communities so that we can develop endurance. Not so that we can prop ourselves up and say that we are grand and great and have achieved some sort of understanding of God and you should come follow us because we know and then we get that Superman stance and the cape goes in the wind, right? We are all that we say we are. But we want to be people who know the truth. So that we can be people who proclaim the truth. Right? I don't stand up here and teach you guys about math. Why? I don't know anything about it. I don't teach you guys anything about science. Why? I don't know enough to teach you about it. But I have been studying the Bible. And I am in relationship with people who says. But doesn't it? But look at it. Twist it turn it what about this angle but what about when you apply it over here you can never figure out context of this verse if you don't know this one right so we have to proclaim the truth we have to speak God's truth with clarity and clarity takes time and effort we didn't just step into a relationship with Jesus and to know everything there was to be about God I was having a conversation this morning I was having a conversation a few days ago. You and I will never know all that there is to know about God. We will never fully understand God. And I am completely okay with that. You know why? Because if I can explain God, if I fully understand God, (laughs) I can't even do math, (laughs) right? But if I can explain God, then that means God is not as grand and knowing as I thought. Right? So there are things about God I'm never going to know. I'm never going to understand. I'm never going to be able to explain it. And then here we go at the end. He says all this. He tells the king the dream with, with precision. He cuts through it like a surgeon's knife. And there in verse 27, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you, colon, break off your sins. How do you break off sin? By practicing righteousness. Break off your sin, O king, by practicing righteousness. How do you practice righteousness? You have to know righteousness. And then he says, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. So listen, king. There is a way around your tree being cut down. There's a way around it. But you're going to have to break off your sin. And practice righteousness. And you're going to have to break off your iniquities. By showing mercy to the oppressed. And if you just take a minute. And think about your sins. And how difficult it would be to break off your sins and practice righteousness. I mean how in the world could I ever do that? Which leads us back to this place where we started. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin to break off sin so that you and I may become righteousness. Jesus came so that you could be new. The stained and sin-filled, iniquity-filled you stands to be cleaned up. You could never do it on your own. But Jesus stands to clean you up and send you out so that you may show mercy to the oppressed. And we can take that as saying, yeah, okay, so here's what happened. Jesus died for my sins and, and, and he, here's what he wants me to do. He wants me to go show mercy to the oppressed and so we need to feed the homeless and we need to have a food pantry to help out the poor. And those are ways that people are oppressed. But... People are oppressed on a grander level. Because you once found yourself oppressed. Slaves to the kingdom of this world. And so we can show mercy, Jesus, to those who are, are oppressed by the kingdom of this world. There's an interesting thing in there where it says, so I was pulling weeds the other day like there was like a jungle out here along this sidewalk. I was pulling these weeds. And for the most part, I was getting them out by the root. Why did I want to get them out by the root? Because if I don't pull those weeds out by the root, they'll grow again. And I'll just be out there yanking out weeds week after week, month after month, just begging God for it to snow, right? God, I'm ready for the snow to come because I'm tired of pulling the weeds. So either the snow covers the weeds so I don't have to see them or it kills it I don't care which but there were some of them that were so strong in their roots that I couldn't get them out and those are going to grow again and so there was this picture of hope to the king you're going to lose your mind you're going to be out in the field crawling around all fours acting like a crazy person for seven periods of time. but when you yield to the sovereignty and authority of God, your kingdom may grow again. But this time it's going to grow. So we, we heard that there was this melody that we were singing earlier, and you can sing a song. So when I was in high school, I was in the choir, and we sang in foreign languages, which, by the way, when I was a kid, I was really frustrated by this. Okay, the kids who were in the marching band, they got PE. credit. For marching in the band. But I sang in like eight different languages. And I got no foreign language credit. So then I had to take two and a half years of Spanish. To get two credits. So that I could graduate. I think that frustrated me. Right? But I would sing in these languages. But have no idea what I was saying. But we would be in competitions. And I needed to sing these things. Lobet den Herr in seinen Lobet in seinen the Herr guy right I'm singing in German I have no idea what I just said I may have said some of the foulest things in the world and luckily none of you speak German so good news I had no idea what I was saying I just knew that that was the song I was supposed to sing the king continues to hear that God is is the ruler of all. He's the king of all. He brings to his knees all of these kingdoms. And the king sings this song. I have no idea what it means. But next week, the king is going to sing that song again. Having lost his mind and having had it returned to him because he submitted to the sovereign will of God. So we're going to sing that again next week. But I want us to go out hearing again that God is calling you and me in our discipleship to be people who proclaim the truth of God. And if you are unwilling to be a person who carries out the proclamation of God, then you have to question whether or not you are a disciple of God. Why? Because discipleship is the process of growing in our relationship with God. And so if you were over here unwilling to proclaim the truth of God with clarity that points people to repentance, then you either have to start doing it or question whether or not you are a disciple at all, and then ask, "Do I want to be a disciple?" And why would you not? We sang earlier that we were slaves. We've been made free. We were blind. We've been given the gift of sight. We were orphans and now we are children of the king. You and I used to be liars. Now we stand to be believed. John 8.44 says that you are of your father, the devil who does nothing but lie and steal because that is his character. And so when you and I lived as children of this world, our character was to lie and steal. Our character was to defame God at every chance. But he has taken an orphan and made him a son and a daughter. And so now you and I can be people who proclaim the truth. There was nothing worth believing, and now we carry the only thing worth believing. And so we're going to wrap our time again this morning. We said, may we be found in you, God. May we be found in you, God. We're going to wrap our time together by singing that we are sons of God. We are daughters of God. We are the children of the Most High. The stone that was cut out of the mountain that brings to its knees every kingdom brings it to dust, is the stone at the corner of the building that holds it all together. The builders rejected it, but I will not. What's saved?